Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from our slightly different perspective. You know, our obsession, or at least my obsession, with utilizing leaves in my aquariums has led me to experiment with so many different types over the years. One of the more recent additions to my personal rotation of leaves and botanicals has been the magnolia leaf. It's interesting not only from an aesthetic perspective, but from a function and utility one as well. Now, unlike virtually any other leaf we offer here at Tannin, Magnolia has a sort of allure and a usefulness that makes working with it, you know, worth putting up with some stuff. Now, I'll have more on that stuff later. But suffice it to say, it's an amazing leaf. Now, talk about an interesting one. The genus Magnolia has over 200 members distributed all over Asia, the Americas, and the West Indies. It's an incredibly diverse, beautiful genus of trees. And yeah, the leaves are great to use in aquariums. And for our purposes, of course, um, the, uh, it's important to see if the leaves were safe. You know, like many other of the leaves we use, we, we can't just assume that they're, they're not safe. And naturally, when I first started playing with them years ago, I'd see all sorts of information and all sorts of uh, assertions about them uh, for use in aquarium. Um, they were ranging from they killed my apistos to I've used them for decades without any issues. And the reality is that like almost any botanical or plant material used in an aquatic setting, if you obtain them from a pollution and pesticide-free source, clean them properly, and gradually add them to your aquarium, you really shouldn't have any issues. Ah, but I digress. More on that later. First off, the species we're typically using here in the United States, or at least in our experience, is Magnolia grandiflora, and it's a beauty. Uh, they can vary widely in color, including oranges and browns, which makes them a really attractive leaf uh, for aquarium use. There are over 50 cultivars of this species alone. So without being a full-on botanist, let's assume that at least superficially, they're all more or less the same for our purposes. Now I can hear my college botany professor cringing right now, but you know, that's the way it goes, right? Morphologically, magnolia leaves have a really distinctive look. Let's just say that when you remove them from the context of the decidedly non-tropical looking tree, they're downright exotic looking and perfect for our uses. They're actually pretty heavy leaves, which is great news because it means they'll last a lot longer in a submerged state, meaning that you don't need to replace them as often as you would, say, you know, catapa or guava. Magnolia leaves have a waxy coating, which renders them more resistant to damage from salt and pollution. I'm going out on a limb and hypothesizing that it's this waxy coating that might be a source of some concerns we've heard about using these leaves in the aquariums over the years. The covering on the leaf is called the cuticle. It's comprised of cutin, which is a wax-like material produced by the plant that is a chemically, it's known as a hydroxy fatty acid. All sounds all fancy, I know. But the purpose of this covering is to simply help the plant retain water and repel pollutants from the leaf surfaces. And you only see it on the top surface of the leaves, interestingly, which makes sense, right? Because that's the side that faces the elements, so yeah. Well, Magnolia grandiflora produces phenolic antimicrobial chemicals, compounds called cumarins and sesquiratopine lactones, which discourage predation and grazing by terrestrial in, you know, insects. Now, interestingly enough, cumarins have, been, have known antifungal properties. And I can't help but wonder if these same antimicrobials and antifungals might might, I say, provide some sort of benefits to fishes in a similar ma fashion as those found in, say, catapolis. However, this is just sort of, conjuncture of my, uh, conjecture on my part. I'm not aware of any scientific study on the matter, nor the existence of data to confirm this theory. That being said, I'm also not aware of known fish tox toxins or other, you know, harmful chemicals present in these leaves. 
Now, can we assume that they're safe for fishes, which would be continuously exposed to anything leaching from the leaves in the aquarium? No, of course not. We can't ever assume anything in this hobby, right? You can kill your fishes with botanicals or virtually anything that you add to your aquariums. However, in almost a decade of personal use and years of similar experience of long-term uses of these leaves, and of course, many of you as customers, whom I trust and know to be competent in Corias, keeping many varieties of fishes, we've experienced no losses that can be attributed directly to the use of carefully sourced and properly prepared magnolia leaves. In my opinion, and based on the experience you know, I just mentioned, the real danger to fishes from these leaves would be from external pollutants, soot, chemicals, you know, garden chemicals, pesticides, and other surface pollutants that would accumulate on the leaves, rather than any particular issue caused by the leaves themselves. However, this doesn't mean that you should just toss them in your tank. Like any botanical, you should take the time to rinse and really soak the leaves overnight in, initially, warm or recently boiled water. This will help remove any residual surface contaminants and pollutants that may be present on the leaves. Add only a few time, gauge the results, like you would with any other type of leaf or botanical. And yeah, of course you can collect these leaves yourself. I have to digress just a bit when I discuss, you know, natural materials like this, which are commonly available in many parts of the world. And I always get a bit amped up too, because there's always someone out there who loves to shout that they have, you know, a magnolia tree in their yard or whatever, and it would be foolish to pay for these leaves, blah, 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 blah. Well, no shit. I mean, if I had a jackfruit tree in my yard, I'd collect my own too. Duh. If you have a source of these leaves for free, don't buy them from us. It's that simple. There's no mystery here. We're not trying to hide any, you know, oh my God, we have a leaf that you can collect off the street. Ours aren't magic. We don't hide the fact that they can be collected easily if you have some in your area. However, if you live in North Dakota, New York City, Reykjavik or Munich or any other place where these leaves are not native or difficult to get, you certainly can purchase them from us or from some other vendor out there. Easy. Of course, if you're going the route of collecting the leaves yourself for aquatic use, I would absolutely pass on any that are known to have been sprayed with any insecticides in recent years or with, you know, where the leaves are falling into a chemically treated lawn or polluted asphalt surface or a gutter or something like that. It's just common sense. As far as tannins in the leaves, these leaves seem to contain quite a good quantity of them and you'll get a good golden brown tint with just a few leaves in a relatively modest sized aquarium. And if you noticed, I didn't, I, I carefully avoided telling you X amount per gallon or whatever because it's all experimental and variable. Of course, the extent to which they will tint the water depends on many factors like how large an aquarium you have, how many leaves you tossed in, and if you're using any chemical filtration media like activated carbon, etc., which will remove the tannins almost as fast as they're released. Now, will these lower the pH of your water? They could, just like many botanicals, if you are using water with little to no carbonate hardness. Of course, there are many other factors which can affect the impact of pH um, you know, that these leaves can, uh, can generate. And being natural materials, there's simply no guarantees as to exactly how much they can lower the pH. You simply have to observe and test. On the subject of water chemistry and our good friends, the biofilms, uh, the leaves do seem to contain a fair amount of residual sugars, which will cause a bacterial bloom on their surfaces. And this is especially noticeable, but not limited to the tip of the stem. These will often go away after a week or so, once the bacteria begin consuming the sugars in the leaves. They should be expected. However, many hobbyists who use these leaves never report such a, you know, a bloom. Yet it's something to be aware of when using them nonetheless. And, you know, some people have bacterial biofilms on for an indefinite period of time. No guarantees. Now, there's a couple of ways to prepare these leaves for aquarium use. Basically, it involves rinsing them really well, then steeping them in boiling or really hot water for about 10 minutes or so prior to use, and then just soaking them overnight in fresh water, which will really help soften them up and maybe saturate them a bit. 
um, the steeping and soaking really helps them sink a little bit more easily because again, the surface, the top surface of the leaf is covered in that cutin, which prevents water and other pollutants or external substances from getting into the leaves. So they're a little tougher to, to sink than most of our uh, botanicals and most of our leaves. Now, occasionally when we ship to you, these leaves may arrive with some mold or some fungal growth on their surfaces. This is typically because their waxy cuticle does a really good job of retaining moisture. And in the confines of the plastic bag, a sort of greenhouse effect ensues. And we found that you can continue to use these leaves without issues if you give them a little wipe down with a damp paper towel, get that scuzzy mold off of there, and then just to, you know prepare them as we discussed before. If it's really bad, you know, just give us a call we'll re- or send us an email. We'll replace those and, or credit as necessary. And of course, there's other times we'll get them rather dry or crispy and they can be more or less reconstituted somewhat during the prep process. It's all about how they're collected and, and when they're collected for us. Magnolia are a bit of a pain in the ass sometimes, and they're somewhat inconsistent when it comes to their condition after shipping. And a lot of it, again, depends on how they were, you know, what condition they were in when they were collected and when we received them here. It can be a little frustrating, I admit. However, for the most part, they're good to use after the prep, regardless of their condition. And all that, you know, juicy, semi-scientific pondering and shipping prep caveats aside, I can tell you from personal experience that these are awesome leaves to use in our litter beds. Enter that idea of generic tropical once again. Yeah, once they're down for a week or so, they have that look which makes them really great stand-ins for almost any tropical leaf. They're safe if used with the aforementioned caveats, attractive, colorful, and long-lasting. I hope I've cut through some of the fear and the clutter and confusion that's propagating out there online about utilizing these leaves in our aquascapes. They're really great. Magnolia provides an amazing contrast to the other leaves that we use in our botanical-influenced aquariums. Although I admit, and this is completely being honest because this is what I am, they're not even in my personal top three in terms of my favorites. I just don't like them that much. I used to like them a lot. I find other leaves more interesting. That's me. But they're useful, they're attractive, they're interesting, and they will no doubt continue to have a place in the hobby if prepared properly and used thoughtfully. So now that I've killed the idea of you using them, or hopefully encouraging you to use them, give it some thought and see if these leaves are for you. Stay creative, stay diligent, stay observant, stay thoughtful, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.